Coming up, it's the 2023 Summer Edition of the Outside Nine Podcast. Yes, we have former All-Star and Cy Young Award winner Barry Zito on the pod today. Uh, Barry reconnecting with the Gauchos. He played back in 1997 under Coach Bronsima and has been wanting to reach back out to UCSB, and he has done so uh, in a great way, making a contribution to the Turf Project and uh, coming on and spending some time with us here on the podcast talking baseball. Uh, so shout out to Barry Zito. We also have our 2023 recap with Johnny Bloom, Devin Cost, and Isaiah Ochoa. Also have a special guest appearance by a uh, a sophomore gaucho into his going into his junior season on that interview. So you got that to look forward to. Uh, had a lot of fun recapping the 2023 season. Uh, went over awards, made our draft picks for the best performances of the year, moments of the year, and uh, look forward to next season. So uh, fun podcast here this summer. Sorry it took so long. Uh, we've all had very busy summers, myself working for the Foresters and uh, the other guys doing youth camps and summer school and getting ready to travel abroad. Uh, but we got all this put together and hope you enjoy this one. We're about a month and change away from the fall season beginning in September. And so we're looking forward to that. We'll have more podcasts down the road uh, through uh, the rest of the year in 2023. And we also have to reconnect with Coach Fontino, Coach Matt Fontino, back with the Gauchos. Uh, Coach Ferg taking the head coaching job down at LMU. And so Coach Jackets and the Gauchos bringing back Coach Fontino. So we're looking forward to catching up with him. And at the end of the Barry Zito interview, Barry gives a shout-out to Jim Rome. We all know Jim Rome. Uh, Checks has been on his radio show a couple of times when the Gauchos have gone to the postseason. Jim's a huge Gaucho fan, and uh, this might start the, uh, the campaign to get Jim Rome on the Gaucho 9 podcast. So I'm putting that out there. Barry put it out there. It was a really awesome uh, anecdote that he added at the end of the interview. This is your summer edition of the Gaucho 9 podcast, and I hope you enjoy. So uh, here we go. It's one of the most beautiful views of any campus in America, the Pacific Ocean crashing against the shores of UC Santa Barbara every morning, noon, and night. Here's the one-strike pitch, and Mitchell belts to deep left. Cabrera is going to watch it fly. And Curley pulls back the home run, and the Gauchos are going to win the game. Gauchos are going to Omaha. Can you believe it? Borgonio is back. He's going to turn and watch this one fly. A two-run homer for Clausen. And the score is due. Here comes Mitchell. He's going to score. Willits will make the catch. And the Gauchos are 2022 Big West champions. All right, this is a real treat. Uh, he is, a, he was a first-team All-American back in 1999. He was a ninth overall pick by the Oakland A's in 1999, made his Major League debut in 2000, won the Cy Young Award. He was a three-time All-Star. He was a World Series champion, and he was a Lou Gehrig Memorial Award winner. Uh, won 165 games in his 15-year Major League career, published author and musician, and an actor. And he had a wicked curveball. Uh, it's my pleasure to welcome Barry Zito to the Gauch and I'm podcast. Uh, good morning, Barry. How morning, are you? Doing great, man. 
greetings from Nashville. Thanks for uh, working on Central Time. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It's a it's a typical uh, mid summer morning here in Santa Barbara. I got the fog going. It's great. So ah, miss it. Love it. Well, let's let's start off. I I listened to your interview with Jim Rome. Uh, that was back in 2019, and at the end of that interview, you expressed your desire to reconnect with the Gauchos because you were a Gaucho back in 1997. Uh, you pitched one year with, with Coach Bronx, mm -hmm. uh, and you've really wanted to come back or make some kind of reconnection. And Jim said that we would be thrilled, and he was 100% right. Uh, <laughs> we are thrilled to, to have you back involved, and uh, I want to shout out uh, Matt English, who's our lead in the development Department and our master fundraiser, the head coach Andrew Check, it's uh, been busting their tails trying to get this turf project on its feet, um, and you made a, a great contribution to that. So we appreciate that. But uh, how psyched are you to get back involved with the Gauchos? Yeah, um, super pumped, man. It's um, you know my college journey was a little twisty turny, and uh, but Santa Barbara has a huge place in my heart. A because you know they were kind of one of the only programs that wanted me out of high school. Um, and B, cause it, it was just such a magical place and incredible experience. Um, you know, honestly, I, I transferred because, uh, my father was really calling the shots at that point, but it was, it was about kind of being draft eligible and, you know, kind of getting on that fast track to pro ball in a lot of ways. So it was like, didn't really have anything to do with the school or the program. Honestly, it, it was more about draft eligibility stuff, you know, but what ended up happening is we couldn't come to an agreement with the uh, Texas Rangers in the third round uh, that I got drafted in out of, out of junior college. So ended up going back to a four-year school, but uh, that was, none of that was expected. Um, but I just have incredible memories of Isla Vista and Anna Kappa and uh, which was the dorm I was in. Yeah. And, made literally made lifelong friends uh third floor san nick uh made a bunch of friends in, in that dorm that to this day i'm still in touch with a lot of them which is crazy because you know i'm 45 now um but you know there's just something incredible about the school yeah it's, it's one of my favorite things about working in college baseball is that that connection that you make because those are such transformative years when you're trying to learn about yourself and, and in your case, you know, become a baseball player. And I don't, in, in the interview with Jim, I, I don't want to reference him too much, but I know you, there's this relationship with your father and he wanted you to play baseball and mm -hmm. there's the, the recruitment process. And we see it here. There's so much involvement with the parents and making sure that parents and player and coach are all on the same page. And so like you said, UCSB was one of the few schools that recruited you. What was the recruitment process like uh, when you're coming out of high school? Um, well, I mean, I had, you know, I had a pretty, I mean, I had a decent career, right? So like people always think that if you have a good major league career, that like you were always a standout. Um, but I was kind of a kid that wasn't like, I was barely making an all-star team, you know, at 12, I made my first all-star team at 12. So like, and, you know, honestly, I didn't throw hard ever through those high school years. I was like 81 miles an hour, maybe 82. I had the big curveball, mm -hmm. but, um, I think they were more projecting talent on me at that point. Like he's going to grow into something. And, uh, and so it was Wake Forest and UC Santa Barbara, um, which is like opposite ends of the spectrum. There. Um, and I did not want to go to school on the East coast. You know, I was a Cali kid. I was from San Diego. So um, I went on that recruiting trip. Uh, Tim Montez was the, um, the pitching coach and the recruiter at that point. And uh, 
I remember they took me to Jasper's, um, which was like an amazing restaurant. I'm not sure if it's still around, but um, it was like, you know, got to hang out with the seniors, right? Like senior college baseball guys were talking to me. I felt so special and important. And um, for me, it was like a no brainer. Um, I just got up there. I saw the campus. I saw the field. I met the guys. Um, so yeah, we did the Letterman tent and uh, I think, you know, I had a, I didn't grow up with much at all. So I had a, a lot of financial aid, um, a lot of grants. And so, you know, and there was also some scholarship involved there too. That's awesome. And this was a 1997, your freshman season, you wound up uh, setting the freshman strikeout record, 123 strikeouts uh, during that season, pitching 21 games, 85 innings. Uh, I don't know if you want to, do you remember your record or your ERA? Maybe you want to forget those. Uh, yeah. But, you know, it's a different era. They're, they're, they're uh, the, the best are bats. I'm sure balls are flying out of the yard. But actually, you allowed zero home runs your freshman season. Oh, really? I season. do not remember that. Uh, yeah, I was three and six with like a six ERA or something crazy. That's pretty it's good. It's crazy because I, I remember it was really interesting. I from my from throwing eighty one out of high school, I there was a scout, a guy named Craig Weissman, who's now you know high up with multiple major league teams through his career. He's incredible. But they the Mariners drafted me out of high school because he felt he could help my delivery, and so I was like a straight over the top, you know, not a compact delivery at all. And this scout actually worked with me and I was in the area code on the area code team. Um, and I remember pitching in Long Beach at Blair Field for area codes. And it was the first time I hit 87 and that was over the summer. And then uh, on scouts day with the Gauchos, I hit 90, which was like in the fall um, of that first freshman year, which was like, oh my gosh, 90 miles an hour. And this was back when, you know, if you hit 90 as a left-hander, like that was a huge deal where, you know, whereas now, every, you know, every lefty throws 95, it seems like, but um and then made my debut in the bullpen um arizona state i remember we went down to play them and i remember bronsma kept being like don't be in awe like don't look around sun devil stadium and act like you even like care what's going you know and he was just hammering into us like don't sit there like we're good enough to do this and um i feel like we took two out of three from them and i pitched in relief a couple nights in a row and and at that point i was hitting like 93 and my curveball was sharp and i had a bunch of strikeouts and um so i was kind of like wow this new delivery like was like paid off i mean i picked up 10 11 12 miles an hour in like eight months and so um i just remember through all those outings as a freshman you know striking a lot of guys out but also giving up runs and being super wild too <laughs> 50, 59 walks uh we had uh there, there's a young lefty andrew vasquez who's pitching right now for the phillies who uh who wound up breaking your freshman strikeout record but i think he had maybe 70, 80 walks in that season. It was very similar with his slider. Okay. Uh, it was just, it would, you could go up 3-0, and then he'd come back and go slider, 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 strike you out. He'd walk the bases loaded, strike out the side. Like, Wow. And it was it was electric stuff. Uh, and he's, he's doing his thing uh, in the big leagues right now, so it's great. That's uh, cool. Let's see. In that season, uh, you played with Michael Young and Justin Lair, guys that, that wound up playing the big leagues. Uh, Michael was on one of the earlier podcasts, and he was – uh, a awesome guest, uh, no surprise. But did you see big league potential in those guys? Like, were they were you uh, and those guys close? Yeah, I mean, you know, Michael um, was crazy talented. Um, could always hit. Obviously, played incredibly smooth. Short. Um, he just kind of did it all. 
Um, I don't think, I mean, even when someone's great in college, though, I don't think you can expect or foresee them, you know, um, doing things that he did in the major leagues, <clears throat> you know, how many years he got 200 hits and, um, I would imagine he at least won one batting title. Um, but I'm not sure. Uh, but he just, he was a hit machine. Um, and it was also interesting to see him play second because obviously A-Rod was over at short. And so, um, he was even more lethal at second, right? Cause you know, the athleticism required for short is a little more than second. So it was like, they basically had two shortstops over there uh, in Texas. Um, and then Justin Lear, yeah, I remember, you know, him and Mike were actually pretty close. Uh, and Justin actually caught me um, my freshman year, which is weird. And then he became a pitcher. And then when I went back to SC, like he was pitching with me at SC, which was a little surreal. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, and he. Where did Justin play in the big leagues? I think he made his debut with the A's. He did. We pitched together, didn't we? Yeah, that's right. Because uh, I knew I played with him in many places. So yeah, it's funny. Santa Barbara. Yeah, SC, Oakland, and also the big leagues. That's so crazy. <laughs> yeah, I remember Justin actually made his debut in Chicago. It's all coming back now, yeah. and he faced Sammy Sosa in his. I want to say in his debut, and I think he punched him out too. It's crazy. That's epic. That's yeah, pretty good debut. That's epic. Uh, it's the baseball world, and it's it's a small. It can be a small place, but it can also be a big place, depending on on your on your viewpoint and which bridges you build. But uh, now the Gauchos recently have had a lot of success, and I think I think it's always had that that in it. It, it needed you know someone to to pull it out and make it blossom. And did you see or do you see now the knowledge that you have of the Gauchos now? Uh, do you see it becoming a household college baseball program now and in the future? Like based on what it has and what it offers as a school and a place uh, and a place to play baseball. Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, um, it's, you know, I think it's just about really getting more and more players through that program that are names in the big leagues. And obviously you guys are doing that. Um, Cause you know, as a high school player, right. It's like, for me, at least when I was in high school, you know, yeah, it was one thing getting to like a college world series and, you know, winning one, those are big things, but also at least more important to me was having big leaguers that came from that school. Um, I don't know why that was more important. I don't know if that's important to young, to young players. Um, but I just, you know, you feel like you're part of like a legacy, um, through the college system to the big leagues. And I think that some of the names that have come out of Santa Barbara now, I mean, are, you know, it's just more and more snowballing and every few years, you know, there's just another big guy. And so I think those are the things um, that really want to motivate players. And then obviously things like facilities, which are, you know, getting better and better. And the, 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 the easy sell is the rest of it, you know, the school, the beach, the city. Um, those things are simple, man. I mean, going up on a recruiting trip to Santa Barbara is like, you know, it's like a vacation, honestly. Yeah. But it, the name that I think of is, is Shane Bieber. When you were describing your, the way that you came up through the recruiting process was very much like Shane. You know, he was, he was a walk on, he wasn't blowing anybody away with velo, uh, but he had a sound delivery and he was accurate and he had a couple of pitches that worked. And when he got to, when he got here, when he got with us, it, it blossomed and he turned into this this precision uh 
guy on the mound. And then it's once he got to the World Series, got some exposure, you know, drafted, and then just really took off in the minor leagues with probably I think he had a a delivery change that ticked up his velo, which let him, you know, put him on the fast track to the big leagues. And now he's been a household name. Uh, mm-hmm. So I, I see your path and his path, you know, have some similarities in that. And he's become, you know, the face for the Gauchos uh, representing us in the big leagues, which is awesome. Yeah, um, man. So we love, have you had any interactions with Shane at all? Um, no, I don't think so. No. Cause we kind of missed each other on a few different fronts. Um, just league wise, but also time wise, you know. Yeah, we got we got to make that happen. We got to make <laughs> yeah it at some point. Okay, absolutely. I, I have a confession to make. Uh, I was born and raised in Oakland, and huge huge A's fan. Along with my my friends, I have fond fond childhood memories of watching the A's. Uh, I was at the Jeter Tosh game in 01. Obviously, not a great memory for the wow. A's. Uh, and I was at the Hatterberg walk off in 02. Wow, those are okay. big moments, man. So I was, you know, I was 12 years old during this, this, uh, this that season, impressionable age. Yeah. Uh, Tejada was my favorite infielder, and Barry Zito was my favorite pitcher. So awesome, I may or may man. not have a few rookie cards. <laughs> That's yeah. great. I love that. So, you know, Moneyball is a great movie, you know, Brad Pitt and all that. Yeah. Um, I enjoyed the book, and we're, this program right now, very analytically driven. Sure. Uh, I think one thing that gets missed is, hey, the A's were a damn good team that year. Damn good team. A lot of good players. Now, what were yeah. the vibes like during that season? Because uh, it was just, I remember it just so fondly uh, as a fan. But what were the vibes like in that season? Uh, playing in O two. Yeah. That was the that was the 20 straight win year. 20 straight wins, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, O2 was like a crazy season on so many fronts. Like for me personally, it was like my best year of my career. It's like personal stat wise because I won the Cy Young that year and, you know, Tejada won the MVP that year. I mean, how often does that happen where you have a Cy Young and MVP on the same team, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, obviously Hattie uh, was there, but then, you know, Mulder and Hudson both had huge years. Um, you know, Eric Burns. Um, I mean, all the guys, man. Honestly, it was um, incredible, incredible effort uh, on every front. We had so many great players and great dudes, honestly. Um, it was just a lot of fun. I mean, you know, my rookie year was 2000, so I pitched a half season there. And then 2001, I think we won like 102 games, came in second place, which was kind of weird. So, um, and then in 2002, it, it kind of all just clicked for us. And, um, you know, we... Uh, Corey Lytle was uh was on that team. I remember that 20 game streak, man, and there was just like magic going on. There was many games that we were down um even into the 4th, 5th, 6th innings. Um I th- I remember one specifically that Hudson started. It was late in the streak. I want to say we were somewhere around 17-18 and he started against the Royals and he gave up like six or seven runs through maybe like four or five innings and we came back and I want to say we like walked it off at home and it was just like you just literally couldn't stop us it was crazy um yeah. it was yeah. a back, back-to-back games to had to walk off hit like he had a single and a homer or something like that there you go might have been that yeah and i think the money you know the money ball thing i'll tell you guys a story that not a lot of people know although i have told it before but you know money ball um originally was not 
the movie that everybody saw. It was a movie that was a little more geared towards like the specifics of the game of what happened, you know, like details. Yeah. Um, and it was written by Steven Soderbergh, who's just like awesome. And he's also a huge baseball fan. I never met him, but we had a mutual friend along the way. And um, he, he was going to direct it and write it. And, uh, and me and Mulder and Huddy were actually going to play ourselves. And we were going to like do a couple scenes uh, during the all-star break. I want to say it was 2001 or 2000. No, we're well, not 2001. <laughs> it was years later, of course. Oh, I think it was when I was with the giants, but so they, anyways, they were going to make it, but we were, they were, we, they were slating us to like play ourselves in the movie. And then um, the whole project got scrapped. Uh, and I think what they realized perhaps is that it was going to be an amazing film, but I think as far as like a popular appeal, you know, to people right. that maybe weren't just hardcore baseball or ACE fans. So that they kind of redid the project um, and they got a new writer, a new director. Um, you know, we didn't play ourselves. Uh, and I think the shocking thing to a lot of us that were on that team is that, you know, the full story wasn't necessarily told. Um, I mean, if you have a Cy Young and an MVP on a team, you would think that <laughs> that might right. make it into a film, right? Right. Um, so, you know, they told the story they had to tell. It was interesting and obviously very well done. And, uh, you know, um, it was a huge movie, but because uh, I, I, I came in and I watched the movie and I was like, you know, I, I experienced it. So the movie was different. Like it didn't feel like it told the whole story. So I think that was kind of the thing that was missing. It was the team was really good. We had the three headed monster on the mound. We had MVP. We had Eric Chavez at third base, like Jermaine Dye, T. Long, like all those guys were just were really good. It was yeah. it, but it was more into the nuts and bolts of all right, how are you constructing the team and, and all that stuff? Like we, we understand yeah. that. So, but totally. Um, let's see. So you signed the deal with the giants. Uh, the struggles are documented and it's, it was a very transformative period of your life. I, I don't want to overuse transformative, but it was the first word that came to mind. Um, yeah. You talked to Jim true, Rome. Man. There's, we love Jim Rome. He's a gaucho. Yeah, uh, man. Very supportive of the program. Uh, he's had Andrew on a, a number of times on the pod uh and on his radio show yeah when we've gone to the postseason um so i encourage people to go back to i think it was like episode 93 or something or 96 with him in 2019 where he talks to you uh, yeah about the book which is called curveball how i discovered mm -hmm. true fulfillment after chasing fortune and fame um, yep. great conversation so we encourage people to go do that but for here uh what happened between 2010 and 2012? Because you were left off the roster for the Giants in 2010 to go in the World Series. And then, of course, you go and you make a, you were a huge part of that 2012 team that won the World Series. So what happened between 10 and 12? Yeah. Um, so I think, you know, honestly, like the pressure of just kind of. So I played six and a half years with the A's and I hit the free agent market. And every time, you know. It, every free agent class is a different class. And so, um, you know, when you are uh, in a in a class with a lot of players, right? Like you may not get the deal maybe you thought you did or maybe even that you deserve. And then when you're in a class that's a little thinner, um, I was in a free agent class that was a little thinner from a starting pitching standpoint, okay? So, and um, uh, there was a pitcher for the Giants that um, ended up signing with the Dodgers, um, Jason Schmidt. 
And he signed a three-year deal with the Dodgers pretty much right after the offseason hit. And he was injured a lot of his career with the Giants. And he had great numbers, but he was injured. So, And I had never missed a start right through seven years. So just kind of telling the story of why I got such a large number. Uh, I had great numbers too. I mean, I had over 100 wins in six seasons, six and a half seasons, right? So I was... I was on that all-star or I was on that 300 win pace that I, you know, I always felt like I was going to win 300 and always wanted to, and things didn't work out that way. But, um, so I signed this huge deal with the giants that they essentially brought me over to lead them to a world series, right. To be their rock, to be their new face of the franchise. Um, after kind of going through some of the Barry bond stuff and, uh, and I did play with Barry for one year, but I was kind of like the new Barry, the old Barry, like they were kind of marketing it in this. Right, interesting right. Um, but after four years of really like not truly like able to shoulder the pressure, I think because I didn't have a foundation in my life that was ready to withstand the turbulence of the pressure and the ups and downs just of sports in general. Um, you know, I grew up and spiritually kind of didn't have God in my life, didn't have something that was, I would say, more important than baseball, more important than my performance. And I think that's that was the tipping point for me because when things were going great, hey, who needs a foundation, man? I'm doing great. When things started to kind of go upside down for me, um, it just sent me into a lot of shame. It sent me into a lot of like self-loathing. Um, and I never was apathetic toward the game, never stopped working. I actually worked twice as hard. I remember throwing bullpens in my backyard uh, of this you know huge mansion I had up in Marin County that like looked over these mountains. There wasn't one house and I had this artificial turf mound and I would literally throw off the mound by myself trying to get myself back. And then I'll go to the field and throw another bullpen that day. Uh, and of course the pitching coaches didn't know I was throwing bullpens at home, but like I was doing anything I could. And so that came to a, you know, to a head four years later, um, our team finally got to the playoffs in 2010. Um, that was four years and I was supposed to lead them there. Right. But when we ended up winning the West, the NL West on the last day of the season, I was like the worst pitcher on the team. I was the worst of the five starters. I was really struggling. Um, those two or three months going into that was really horrible for me. I put again, trying to be perfect, not trusting myself. Right. Kind of the reason that uh, any of us struggle in life, I think is when we uh, try to be too perfect and we don't just trust that we're enough. Right. Um, so yeah, the coach told me, Hey, you know, why don't you just pack it up, go home, you know, well, get out of here. We'll go, we'll see you in spring training, you know? And I was like, get out of here. I was like, dude, we got to, we're starting our playoffs like in two days. What are you talking about? Like, this is my team. This has been my team for four years. And I had to talk Bruce Bochy back into letting me stay with the team and, uh, you know, kind of just pitching bullpens, working out, staying fresh in case a guy got hurt. And, um, it was a horrible experience for me. It sounds really weird and selfish. It was, uh, it, my ego was kind of definitely driving the ship, but I, I went to the field every day, totally in shame, head walking in the, with sunglasses and headphones, you know, the concessionaires and the people that worked in the stadium, I just felt like they were all smirking at me. Cause here I am making $18 million a year, not even playing. Right. And, uh, and all these other guys are out there just killing it. And, um, came to the point where I was even rooting against my own team. I was rooting for them to lose because my ego was so, you know, threatened that they were going to do it without me. And so, um, ended up watching them win the world series, um, you know, and, uh, just had nothing to do with it. And, uh, celebrating in the clubhouse was super awkward because all the guys knew that like I was making more money than everyone, but had nothing to do with the wins. It was just like very, very, very surreal, very painful for me. Um, 
And so went into like codependency 12 step when I got home to LA and um, cause I'm, I mean, I was just, my mind was upside down and um, you know, basically the, the whole idea of like, you know, in AA you're powerless over alcohol, right? That's what they say. The first step you have to admit you're powerless. Well, in, in CODA, uh, codependency, you're powerless over um, the opinions of other people. And uh, what I kind of realized is I was so obsessed with being approved of and having people think I was enough. And I was kind of out there pitching to make sure everyone approved of me for these for these years. I was kind of like deeply insecure. And uh, and I think that came from insecurity about if my father actually truly loved me beyond my performance. And um, so, you know, long story short, the middle of 2011, the next season, um, I was with my now wife. We were dating. Um, but I was surrounded by these like self-help books as I always was. I was always trying to figure it out and find a new spiritual discipline that was going to like, you know, get me where I needed to be. And um, she was like, babe, you need to lock your books up and you just need to like try this book here. And she handed me a Bible and I was familiar with the Bible, but never was never in church as a kid, never, you know, kind of knew what was it, what it was about. And um, ended up starting to go to Bible studies with the giants and, um, guys like Brandon Crawford and um, Madison Bumgarner, Brandon Belt, Matt Cain. Uh, we were kind of in there and I was just listening. And uh, the middle of that season, 2011, and, you know, I surrendered my life to God and said, God, I'm, I'm sick of living just for me and my own like yeah. needs and my own kind of importance and uh, selfishness. I want to live for you. I want to live for something greater, you know. Um, and that really was a turning point for me. Um, and I think just surrendering uh, allowed me to release the results uh, and the the need for approval. So the next season, it, you know, um, my numbers were pretty good. I mean, I had 15 wins in 2012. My year rate was still kind of high. And of course, that at that point, I was throwing probably 84, 85. You know, I was had racked up a crap ton of innings. And um, but, you know, I was able to compete and win some just huge games. Uh, for the Giants. And the ironic thing is, you know, when I had big success with the A's and also through college, you know, I always kind of went out there in this mode of like, I'm going to kill them. And I, I know I'm going to succeed. And, you know, that's the headspace I need to be in is I know I'm going to do this. I, I, I'm confident and I'm, you know, I can see it and I can visualize it, you know, and, um, but I went out into those games in, you know, in a, a elimination game in St. Louis. And I think I looked at the odds or something. I think we had like a 5% chance of winning that game or something crazy. Um, and the next game, five days later in the world series, you know, at home in San Fran against Verlander, I went into those games saying, you know what, I don't know what's going to happen and I'm totally okay with that, but like, I'm not going to go to sleep tonight after this game and ask myself what would have happened if I did my best tonight and just like didn't sabotage and didn't care or, or didn't worry too much about results. And, uh, and I was able to be really present with every pitch and just do my best and release that ball in a way that felt, you know, really good to me, regardless of where it was going to go or if the hitter was going to swing or miss or hit a homer or strike out. Um, it was a really a, just a deep presence and a kind of a trust in, the unknown in God that, Hey, whatever happens, it's all good. I can handle it. But like, I can't sabotage this moment anymore. I have to do like, I have to express this gift I was given. And, you know, even if it's 84, like I have to at least express that to the best of my ability. Um, and we ended up sweeping the world series that year. And, uh, you know, go, they call me like a forever giant now. Cause I was a big part of that. And, uh, you know, in the parade in 2012, everyone's screaming my name and in the 2010 parade, people were, you know, 
cussing at my face basically for an hour on the trolley in 2010 it was a very like kind of a traumatic experience to be honest with you um they're cheering for everyone and when my trolley car came people are just middle fingers like giving me like every you know obscene gesture you can imagine because i honestly the fans were just so fed up with me um so what a crazy turnaround to then be like called a forever giant you know huge flip it's it's an incredible story and i, I remember reading about it and and you know because I'm, I'm there in the bay and i'm hanging out with giants fans and friends uh it was a it was a huge twist a huge turn and for the better for you barry and we have a phrase here at ucsb and this kind of started in 2020 uh when we went through the COVID shutdown and coming back and trying to get it back on its feet it was attitude for gratitude and when i listen to jim and you talk about it when i hear you list talk about it right now i i I only think of attitude for gratitude and it's just gratitude mm. for the game and where you're at and, and the, the decisions that you make for the better. Um, and I, we're running out of time here. So I want to make a, this drastic transition to Drake Holloway because Holloway, yeah. music, music, uh, it's, it's been, it played a big role in my life uh, as well as my dad's life. Like we play uh, bluegrass music together. Uh, we have for a long time. That's cool. And music is also something that you can, you can tinker it down to the details and be absolutely perfect, but it can also be this kind of freewheeling journey where there's, there's no right and there's no wrong, right? You're an artist. So let's talk Drake Holloway. What's the environment around DH? How is like music has been a big part of your life. So it's now becoming a, a lifelong discovery and you're discovering it each and every day uh, right now, living in Nashville and doing what you're doing right now. So what is Drake Holloway? Yeah. Um, yeah. So, you know, kind of, I guess to sum it up, I ended up retiring here in Nashville in 2015 and uh, played, just played a year um, with the sounds here and mm -hmm. then thought I would be back in Cali, but you know, we just fell in love with Nashville like everyone is these days, it seems. And uh, so I went into writing country music um, song. I, my first love was, was music and that's kind of where Drake Holloway comes from. But I was doing country music, writing that for three years, pitching it and got some cuts and a little bit of TV sync stuff. Um, took a couple years off to write the book. Uh, and then when I came back after the book, I really dove deep into music production, which is always what I want to do. Even halfway through my baseball career, I was thinking about, you know, being a producer, writer, working with artists. Um, I just wanted to make records, honestly. And um, so, you know, in the last few months, kind of my old socials was like Barry Zito music. And I released some music and did some singing and stuff. But the vision for me has always been to like be a producer writer um to not be traveling and playing tours and things because i have a family and young kids um uh and so i just kind of started a new socials um which is called drake holloway music and a drake holloway is um tying back to my father my father was a nat king cole's road conductor um and uh, his name was Joe Zito, but when he he was raised in the Bronx and the name Zito was an Italian name, it wasn't necessarily a name you could get a lot of gigs with, um, you know, in the 40s and 50s. So he changed his name to Drake Holloway, which is like a very like English, you know, uh, waspy type of name. And um, so it was just, you know, that's been my like my email uh, for many, many years. Um, and, you know, finally I had to make that separation between this is like the retired baseball player that's gone into music because for me to really be viable as a collaborator and a, as a producer, like I just need a group of people that see me for what I am today, which is a producer and a songwriter. Um, and so I really had to kind of 
cut that and separate that. And so, you know, um, yeah, it's, it's been really fun. And I have a wonderful group of people here in Nashville that I collaborate with, whether they're artists or writers, um, some other producers, and I've really started to sink my teeth into, you know, what I'm going to do the rest of my life. So I'm, I'm five years in on the production journey. It's a lot. Um, as you can see, there's, I mean, you probably can't see, but there's a lot of stuff in this studio that I got to learn how to like, these are all my patch bay cables and, you know, I was recording some drums yesterday. So like I'm taking out patches right before we start. Cause I have someone coming in here and we got to record guitars today. So, um, you know, but these are things that I've always wanted to do, have always had a love for music. And so it, it feels amazing to have found a second career to really go into, and I can do this as long as I can move my hands, my arms and think, you know, with a clear mind, I can do music. And so it's kind of nice to be in a profession that, you know, my soft tissue um, is not yes, dictating my exactly. viability. Um, so yeah, I'm having a blast, man. It's, it's a huge challenge. Um, but I mean, there's no better way to live, man. We got to be challenged. Got to be challenged. And we try and challenge the gauchos every day. Uh, we certainly had some challenges this year. Uh, we didn't, we did finish the way we, we wanted to finish. I think there were a lot of great things uh, that we did this year. What's um, How much did you follow the Gauchos uh, this past season or, or, in, or in recent seasons past? Yeah, I was definitely um, checking in, um, seeing how the boys were doing and always rooting for uh, for you guys. Um, you know, honestly, it's uh, with young kids, um, the TV's not on much. Um, and uh, if I'm ever on my phone reading about stuff, I'm usually reading about music production stuff um, that I have to learn or, you know, figure out. So I'm, I feel kind of in a weird way, pretty removed from the game of baseball, but I also think it's healthy for me um, to just sink my teeth into some stuff. But I mean, I'll always be a gaucho and, uh, and I'll always be keeping an eye on you guys. And, you know, I know next year things are going to turn and, um, you know, there's going to be some changes out there aesthetically. And uh, I know things are going to be looking good out there. Yeah. Uh, last, last question is you maybe mentioned it right there, but like what role, does baseball have in your life now it's it's it feels like you're at peace with it and you are excited to talk about it and it's you're viewing it in a different light uh with and alongside this music thing and your family so like what yeah. role does baseball play in your life now i think the gratitude that you touched on you know honestly a lot of people out there would never know that a guy not me you know maybe another guy or me but guys could have millions of dollars world series rings and they could be bitter they could not I mean, I know plenty of players that I played with had great careers, tons of money in the bank that have a very difficult time turning on baseball because what it ends up becoming is a um, reminder of what we didn't accomplish. And I had a great career, you know, um, but I won probably just over half the games I actually felt like I was supposed to win. Um, sounds weird, um, but like I was sure that I was going to like, be hall of famer if not pretty close and so because the standard was set so high for me uh in myself and with my father i feel like my career was a letdown in a lot of ways and um it's hard to swallow that especially when you can't really change that going forward but um i think just getting comfortable with the journey and knowing that there was like a higher path and a higher purpose and if i didn't learn the lessons the life lessons and the you know the lessons of being a, a real man um going through hard times and keeping your head up and still being a good person and still having good character like you know that set me up for the rest of my life and how to you know mentor my boys into become men um so you know if i had 300 wins right now and was in the hall of fame like i'd probably still be out like you know chasing women on the streets of hollywood and you know super insecure still trying to find like the approval and the self-worth so 
honestly, like I had to go through all that stuff to make me like who I am today, you know? That's well said. That's well said. And I know a lot of current gouchers are going to listen to this and I hope they take some lessons away from you. Barry, I, we got to let you go. Uh, I, I really appreciate the time. The gouchers really appreciate your time. I'm glad that this came together. This was, this was great. Yeah. Hope we reconnect uh, in the future. Likewise, and man. Got a beautiful family and a beautiful lifestyle. You, so, so it's awesome. So we, hey, we, after cut, I got to cut you off. You know why? Cause hold on. I got to pull my phone up. So like after the Jim Rome thing, mm. I talked to my wife and I'll just show you like a funny picture or whatever, but like, this is my son, Rome. Hey. Because after that interview, my wife and I were talking and she goes, that'd be a cool name for a boy, huh? Rome. And dude, we ended up, I don't think I've ever told Romy that or anyone, uh, honestly, but like we named our son Rome after oh, that interview that you're talking about, which is so crazy. So, uh, yeah, you got to tell Jim that. Do you want to, do you want to keep that in? Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, yeah, I think that would be, important. I don't know. I just, I feel like Jim would get a kick out of that, man. He a hundred percent would. He's, he's going to be, this, this is a, a shout out to Jim because we got to get him on the podcast as well. So come on. <laughs> All right. That's, that's Barry Zito, uh, one of a kind. And, uh, we appreciate the time. Thanks Barry. Thanks, Kev. Appreciate you, man. All right, at long last, at long last, about two months after the end of the season, we finally have Devin, Isaiah, and Gianni here for the postseason recap. Uh, I know it took us a while, but uh, these guys all have busy schedules. I have a busy schedule, and well, quite frankly, the end of the year was uh, was a little tough, and we needed some time to uh, let it sink in. And uh, you know, as they say, uh, time heals all wounds. So we're here for the uh, the postseason draft. We're gonna do our our players of the year, our best pitch of the year. We'll go over the awards, all of the stuff that's going on in minor league ball and pro ball. Go over some draft stuff. And uh, and have some fun talking about the 2023 season that the Gauchos uh, wrapped up back in May. Uh, hope everyone enjoyed Barry Zito. Uh, really fun to talk to Barry, uh, bringing him back to UC Santa Barbara, getting him reinvolved in the Gauchos. So he was psyched to be on the podcast, and uh, and we were psyched to have him. So um, hope everybody listened to Barry Zito. But let's get to what happened in 2023, guys. What happened? Uh, Gauchos finished with a record of 35 and 20, 18 and 12 in the Big West Conference, RPI at 55. They did not make the postseason, uh, but they finished the regular season with the 16th best team ERA, 4.20. Hudson Barrett, they, who acquired a ton of uh, awards, we'll get to that in a minute. Fifth in NCAA with a 1.92 ERA, and the Gauchos set a program record with 80 six home runs on the season now for this first we're going to check in with everybody and then we'll get to uh the draft results but uh let's start with uh gianni bloom good morning g you look morning you look uh like a ray of sunshine this morning i mean it's a beautiful morning got the nespresso sheen dialed here in the in the office i'm at the field you know, maybe it's the uh beautiful. 
the LED lights shining through the screen. Maybe that's the ray of sunshine, but you're just glowing right now, bro. Yeah, it's definitely the lighting in here. That's all it's, it is. It's no, not the uh, it. it's it's not the golf swing that we unlocked yesterday. It's absolutely the golf swing that, that you helped me open up. You're my golf coach. <laughs> um so that's been going well. That's been been a big activity lately, but I'm just and, happy to be back on the pod here with all you fellows. Yeah, and you sick you finished uh finished up six weeks of youth camp, so congratulations. Yeah, that might be the flow, but no, jokes aside, it was it was a lot of fun. Um, Heck yeah. kids are great, so all right, uh, Devin. Yeah, so I mean, first, hopefully, I can sign up for some Kevin golf lessons. I think my my swing really needs some help. But uh, I'm excited that we're getting to do this after all the weeks. I, I thought we were getting close to a point that we weren't going to do it, so I'm excited to do this thing. Uh, get in line for the golf lessons. Uh, there's a long, there's a long line, long wait list. <laughs> yeah, kept booked up. Sorry. Yeah, and we're uh, 25. Is that how long I have to wait for? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, and we're catching you right before you go to uh, scurry off to do a semester abroad. Is that right? Yes, going to Madrid. Super excited about that. España. That's gonna be that's gonna be awesome. So someone's gonna have to fill in for you in the fall. We'll we'll have to find somebody. Yeah, haven't haven't find, found that person yet. <laughs> All right. Uh, third, <laughs> thirdly, uh, Isaiah Ochoa. It's it's hot down in Southern California. Good morning, hey. Isaiah very hot good morning good morning i'm gonna be honest one of the reasons why this pod was very delayed was on me you know my my wounds weren't healed yet after the season I took it very hard dad told me get over it still couldn't get over it after some youth camps hanging out with the kids i finally got over it you know you can't those wounds don't get healed without those kids man they put a smile on your face sometimes you know their energy just gives you energy and so i'm ready to pod after those youth camps too wow they tried to take you out though too they did, you know, they did. Tried, you know, sprain my ankle, but, you know, kid <laughs> can only hold Oge for so long. And, you know, you get back up. I mean, who's going to carry the boats? You know what I'm saying? That's electric. I showed up I showed up to, to work one day, and Isaiah's getting out of Erdy's car, like big splint on his ankle, crutches. <laughs> I thought the world was ending. It's unbelievable. So did I. But we're here walking. <laughs> We're all we're all healthy, we're all healthy, and I hope the listeners are out there healthy too. Okay, vote results from the last draft that we did, and this was going to be the final draft of the year uh, because we want to announce uh, the winner on this podcast. So this is the draft results from the Cal Poly series that was the second to last weekend of the year, and uh, going into it, going into it, Devin and Gianni were tied for first place. Isaiah was sitting in second, one point behind, and the host, Kevin, was sitting in third, two points behind. And after the vote results were tallied, Devin Cost came out in first place and defeated Gianni Bloom by one point. Dev came in first, G came in second in this in the final week vote. Kevin came in third, Isaiah came in fourth. And so that means that Devin is our winner. Gianni finishes second, and me and Isaiah finished tied for third. And I don't remember if uh, at the beginning of all this, the winner was going to be awarded something, but we're going to give Devin 30 seconds of airtime to say whatever he wants. So, Devin, go ahead. You have the floor. Uh, I may or may not have wrote the speech or chat GPT may have, might have helped me. 
but dear friends and fellow podcast enthusiasts, I'm thrilled and grateful to have won the podcast draft on UCSB's incredible season. I want to thank my fellow participants for the competition, the dedicated team behind the scenes, <laughs> Kevin, uh, the experts who shared their insights, and above all, the UCSB community for their unwavering passion and support. UCSB season was a roller coaster of triumphs and challenges, showcasing the power of teamwork and resilience. I promise to continue delivering engaging and inspiring content in the future. Thank you all for being part of this journey, and let's continue celebrating the power of sports and storytelling together. Go Gauchos. Wow. Wow. You totally did not read that off a teleprompter. No. I hope that moved you guys. I mean, I almost got a tear there. Mm. You got to work on your inflection. <laughs> work on your inflection points. <laughs> well done. Well done, Devin. You you staved off a late rally by Johnny Bloom, who came in and joined the podcast a couple weeks into the season. And even though he was handicapped, he almost won the whole thing. So uh, good work, everybody. Now we're going to draft our uh, players of the year. Are you guys ready? So Isaiah, since you came in last in the uh, second to last week vote, you get to pick first for position player of the year. Nice, nice. Well, first pick, I'm going to go with Jared Sundstrom. Out of 171 at-bats, he batted an average of 322. Uh, out of those hits, 55, 15 were doubles, one triple, 15 homers, 43 RBIs on the whole season, slug 684, as well as his on base was 401 with 11 stolen bases. No errors on the whole season as well out of 79 chances. That's very, so pretty strong numbers for old Jerry right there. Pretty strong. And hit a trolley. Man. I think he hit his first hit of the season was a homer in Arizona, too, yep. I think. Yep. yep, and in pro ball, first hit was a grand slam. I believe his first pro hit was a grand slam. That's right, G. Guy nice likes time. to have a little flair. <laughs> yeah, 30 extra base hits. That led the team. 31. 31. <laughs> Forgot that, 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 that triple. Forgot that triple. My bad. <laughs> So yeah, uh, a good pick. Uh, he was one one. Um, let's see, second pick. I'm torn. I'm torn, but I think I'm gonna go with my guy uh, AP, Mr. Aaron Parker. Hit three twenty one, slugged five fifty one, on base percentage of four fifteen, which led the squad. Kicked in four stolen bases, eleven doubles. 10 pumps, 32 RBIs. He also uh, was second on the team with 60 hits. And being a, a catcher slash DH, uh, having one of the best uh, framing abilities in all of college baseball, uh, Aaron Parker. Well, just, just five errors on the season, 989 fielding percentage from the catching position, which is, uh, I think that's pretty solid. Uh, maybe it could be better. I think AP would tell you it could be better. And he will be better next year, but uh, AP is my guy uh, for the second pick. So I just took Johnny's pick, so he's scrambling to find a new guy. <laughs> Best of luck. Well, there's a couple couple ways I could go here, but I'm gonna go. I'm gonna take Jonah Sebring, 
even though, you know, he obviously had the jaw injury and didn't get to finish out the year, uh, he was really starting to put it together and was actually pretty electric in the lineup. Um, just does it all. He hit 322 and 115 ABs, uh, had nine doubles, four homers, a triple, 25 ribbies, uh, not playing all the games. It's a 522 slugging percentage. Started walking towards the end of the year. 14 bags on 18 attempts. Uh, was pretty versatile. Started playing some center field, played some second. Uh, I mean, he was absolutely electric. And he was a guy right before he got hurt that if there were guys on base when he came up, he was going to do something cool. So give me Jonas Sebring through the wire. Great dude. Man. Player of the year pick and picking a guy who only played in 32 games. That's uh, that's risky. The numbers don't lie, and the production doesn't lie. So, you're so are you strictly looking at batting average there because he was tied for the team lead in batting average? I was I was looking at batting average, and I'm just thinking about what it felt like when the Seabird was up to hit towards the end of the year, and it just felt like it was an auto barrel a lot of the time. It did. It really did. All uh, all jokes aside, I think that's the second time we've used that today. All jokes aside. But yeah, he was uh he was gonna he was in Fuego uh before he went down. He did play summer ball and he's back healthy and uh Jonah's having a good summer. Let's see. Beautiful. Fourth pick. Fourth uh, pick Dev. Yeah, with the fourth pick, I'm going with Ivan Bradauer. He hit three eleven, four eight, uh on base and a five seventy one slugging. And for most of the year, it always felt like, or like the whole season, he was a threat to just absolutely crush a long ball, which is always a great feeling And when one of your hitters is up. But he had 24 extra base hits, 11 home runs, and he wasn't only power, and he had some speed. He had eight stolen bases on the year. Um, so with all of that combined, Ivan's my uh, my hitter of the year. Nice. It's, it's a solid pick. I'm, I'm, I'm surprised he fell to fourth, but... He was picked. I was hoping that he would be picked. I would be disappointed if Ivan didn't get picked. Because uh, when he was hitting the leadoff spot, right, it felt like Gauchos were going to start the game leading one to nothing most of the time. And it did. We did, at times, start the game leading one to nothing. So he was that much of a threat uh, whenever he was in the lineup. So we're we're psyched to have Ivan back as well. Um, next season he's gonna be great. Uh, yeah. any honorable mentions for position player of the year? Yeah, how about Latrey McCollum hitting three hundred? Um, zoomed out there. Let me get back in. Hit three hundred. You know, had eleven bags. Uh, didn't have the year that he would have wanted, but did a really good job just competing every day, giving us a shot. He learned a new position that he really excelled at and got better every day. Um, he's another guy, just a sophomore last year. I think that's going to be a really key piece and and have a lot to improve on. But still, I mean, a really good year, three hundred man. Just you know, hitting three hundred is not easy. So shout out to Trey. Yeah, led the team with sixteen hit by pitches as well. Second in base percentage. So, uh, I mean, how about Corey Nunez? Right, true freshman. He was hitting around three hundred for most of the year. Had a couple of walk off hits. And really uh, excelled at the shortstop position through the first like three quarters of the year. And Corey, I mean, that's a hard position to play for a true freshman for the majority of the year. Played in 55 games, which led the team. 
just uh, can't say enough about how Corey was uh, his freshman year. So that uh, was a big year. Only uh, better things to come from Corey. Deborah, Isaiah, you guys want to kick in a name like Xander Darby? I thought you guys were going to say a couple of names. I thought you guys had it covered, but yeah, I mean, Xander <laughs> and Brock. Give me more airtime, Dev. I, I, I'm ready for my, my, my next pick, so <laughs> I'm not worried about the airtime. <laughs> right. Yeah, Z, 21 extra base hits, holding down the hot corner, made some outstanding plays at third. So uh, shout out to Z. And Brock Mortensen, of course, set the tied the program record for homers uh, as well. He went a yard 11 times this year. Uh, Christian Kirtley, 14 homers, second on the team. Um, he also uh, made a, made his way into some leaderboards uh, in career statistics uh, over the course of the season. So shout out those guys. All right, let's flip it to pitcher of the year, starting with Devin. Wonder who yes. you're gonna pick. So I oh. think you got a couple couple uh, couple testy choices here. <laughs> I think I'm just going to have to go with arguably one of the, the best college pitchers on the season. I mean, he has – he won so many awards, I wasn't even sure. Like, I can't even name them all. I probably need you to do that, Kevin, later. But I'm going with Hudson Barrett. He threw 61 innings. He had a 1.92 ERA. Johnny's absolutely shocked. I mean, I definitely debated <laughs> this a little bit. But I think I think I had to go with someone who was leading the ERA title – for all of D1 baseball for a little bit, always felt like a for sure, like out, outing whenever he came in, wasn't too worried. Um, but he was just great all year. I mean, 1.92 ERA, 82 strikeouts on 61 innings. That's 12.1K per nine. Opponents hit only 195 off of him, which is just absolutely absurd. Um, just an all-around great year by him. So that's why Hudson Barrett is uh, my pitcher of the year. It's a strong pick. It's a strong Absolutely. pick. There was a, it's kind of a toss up for maybe three guys uh, for that first pick. So let's see. Isaiah. It's not me. Or is no, it's, it's G. It's G. It's G. Yeah. Yeah. Come on now. <laughs> Give me Matt Ager. Just had a great year, slid into that Friday spot, had a 297 ERA. Uh, through sixty-three and two-thirds innings, whoa. had an opponent. You got to You got to You got to update your whoa, stats whoa. there. Whoa, yeah. Whoa, whoa. Edit, I, editor, editor, editor. Three, three twelve ERA on ninety-two and a third innings. Where am I right now? <laughs> you're in like you're in like late April. Am I? I knew those innings weren't right. Oh no. He's rattled. Oh, no, I'm making more work for Kev. <laughs> No, this, no, this is fine. We we can keep this in. We can talk about uh, how Matt Ager and Hudson Barrett were on Team USA this summer because they were two of the best pitchers in all of college baseball. We can mention that. We can mention that Hudson Barrett, who was the uh, the first pick in this pitcher of the year, had five awards at the end of the year. He was the Big West Freshman Pitcher of the Year. He was a freshman All-American by a collegiate baseball newspaper. He was a third-team All-American. And he was a first-team All-Freshman by Perfect Game slash Rawlings and Baseball America. So all the major college baseball media outputs basically putting Hudson Barrett in as a freshman of the year 
freshman all team, all first team freshman of the year. So uh getting it done. Getting it done. What do you got? Thank you. What do you got G. You've, I, I Thank you Carol there. What do you got? That was a great fill. Let's try this again here. Matt Ager with a 3.12 ERA. Hey, there we go. Um, 92 and a third inning, so that's more like it. Opponent batting average of 210, had 115 strikeouts to only 26 walks on the year. Had a whip of 1.05. Uh, just really turned into that ace that everybody's looking for. Went out and pitched really well with Team USA. Uh, it's been cool seeing Matt go from that freshman reliever, a couple pitches, into a Friday guy, into a Team USA guy. Uh, really excited to just see him keep developing. So give me Matt Ager. Another one of those sophomores that are going to be back next season. Man, there's a theme here. There's a theme. It's developing. All right, my turn. I'm going with, uh, gee, who, what'd you call him? Sicko Goody? Yeah, Sicko right? Goody. Is that what you call him? Mike Gutierrez. Uh, I know he got he got banged up a little bit in the middle of the year, but really came through towards the uh, the end of the season. Really some some gutty performances, some gritty performances. Still wound up with some great numbers uh, in 10 starts, 4-2 and two record, 2.54 ERA, 46 innings, 57 strikeouts, just 13 walks. Opponents hit 238 against him. And <clears throat> when Goody was on the hill, it felt like the Gauchos were going to win. It felt like he was going to pitch deep in the games every time. And the, the three-pitch mix, maybe four-pitch mix, depending on... Uh, who you ask, Devin? Four pitches, three pitches for Goody. Three pitches, three. Fastball changeup, like curveball, slurveball. Yeah, and they they all became they all became elite uh, this year. They they really did. So, uh, shout out to Goody. Uh, we're not entirely sure on on Goody's immediate future at this point. Uh, there's a chance he might come back, and there's a chance he might move on to pro ball. So we'll wait and see. Obviously, it would be great to have uh, him back next season. So that's my pick. Mike Gutierrez. Isaiah. All right. Um, I think I could take anyone here, but I think my choice is going to shock some people here. This guy got banged up in the uh, middle of the year at San Diego. Nick Welch was having a great season, ended up getting banged up, but it's okay because before he got banged up, he had a 3.5 ERA and 15 Innings, his batting average against was 0.185. Strikeouts to walks was 19 to 6, and his whip was 1.04. Wow, so like position player, like position players, we picked the top four batting averages, and for the (laughs) top four pitchers, we picked the four best ERAs of qualifying pitchers. Interesting. Mm -hmm. That's a theme. Aren't you guys? Aren't you guys yeah. the analytics team? Aren't you guys woke on on statistics and analytics? Like we don't just look at batting average and ERA anymore, right? Maybe yeah. we look at ERA. I mean, I think I think with having the first pick, I had to go with with Hudson Barrett. Um, but I mean, yeah, that I was, was that was a no brainer. Yeah, but I think if if I was on the latter end, I'd probably go with like an honorable mention of Tyler Bremner. I mean someone said ERA was a dead stat earlier in the year, but I mean, if you look at some of his other numbers, he has 80 strikeouts to 17 walks, which is relatively to 
the rest of the UN baseball. And even if you compare it to like MLB numbers, a four strikeout to uh, one walk ratios shows very, very good command. So, I mean, and stuff. So I think Bremner had a really good year, just the ERA, unfortunately, doesn't really show it. Yeah, then guys like uh, Brady Huddleston, I think Brady, he won the first two games of the year uh, by himself, wound up with a 3-6 yep. the ERA. Nation after the first weekend, I think, and wins. He did. He did. Strike. And then Sam Sam Whiting, who wound up being a 16th-round pick by the San Diego Padres, 4-0, one save, led the team in appearance, led second on the team in appearances. He had a, a 4.10 ERA, 36 punchies, 26 in the third innings, and really uh, came into his own this year. I think it was uh, kind of a blossoming year for, for Sam Whiting, who had – High expectations coming into his career didn't meet it early on, and and really you know found it this year. So it was good to see from Sam. We were pretty psyched. He was chucking at the end of the year. Chucking. What was what did he peak at? He must have peaked at ninety. He had ninety-seven. I think he had ninety-seven at Riverside. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Now he gets to go join the old roommate with the Padres, Nick Vogt. That's right. That's right. All right, we'll save. Normally we do a moment of the year at this point in the draft. I'm going to save that for last. So we'll go, we'll go hardest hit ball, hardest hit ball right here for uh, this I'll next go. one. Which I'll go first again then. So if we're doing it like how we normally oh. would, I have last in the moment though. Oh. Yeah, I think that's a good idea. Just like, yeah, just normally how we would do it, but just different order. I think that's a good idea. Whatever you want, champ. Yep. <laughs> I mean, we just want to keep it consistent, right? We don't want anything to be different. Correct. It's your world, man. Yep. Yep. Correct. Hardest hit ball, Devin. All right. Um, this is probably one of the only balls in the season that we didn't actually end up getting data on, but I think it is the clear pick for hardest hit ball. And I'm going with Jared Sundstrom's trolley home run when he played UC San Diego. Estimated distance, since we didn't have the numbers, it's not confirmed, but estimated distance of 472 feet. Probably hit it like 150 miles per hour off the bat. Honestly, not sure. It could have been more. Um, but I think that was probably the hardest hit of the whole year and one of the coolest hits the whole season. So, Sundstrom's trolley hit. Now, look, you, we can't say that it was estimated 150 miles off the bat because <laughs> – that's 38 miles per hour faster than the, the highest recorded hit. So we can't put that on a graphic. That's going to skew. No, that won't go on a graph. I won't put that on a graph. But I mean, <laughs> circumstantial, have, Your Honor. We don't have the numbers, so it could be anything. Wow. I guess we'd figure the most exciting home run of the season, the farthest home run, would probably be the hardest hit. I mean, it, I don't, it makes sense. Uh, Although, that thing well, pretty high. Can I, ask, can I ask the data people here? The farthest confirmed home run, I won't say what the hits are, um, was not the hardest hit home run. Right. Yeah. So does does hardest yeah. hit does does the ball being hit hard correlate with the ball going the farthest distance? Yeah, it's definitely correlated. Yeah, okay. I disagree. But then you but you have to you have to something include launch angle and this. Yeah, something called backspin exists, so it doesn't and wind. And when I think the farthest ball is a combo of hitting it hard and hitting it at the right angle. I think the yes. hardest hit balls are low lasers. Does stingers. it go does it go farther if it has more spin or less spin? 
Depends I think it goes farther with more spin. Goes Depends on what kind spin. of spin, because it could have top spin or back spin. <laughs> you guys are just throwing stuff at the wall. <laughs> yeah, I know, I know, more spin normally it goes farther. If <laughs> that's a generalization, though, what if it's side spin? Yeah, hey. a squibbler too. Hey. Hey, Magnus effect. Side spin, then it's probably not a home run. I'm just thinking in regards to home runs. Oh, okay. All right. Who's second pick? G. Um, Ivan. Pick over. Just Ivan. No. Um, <laughs> let's he go. Does, he does have the top three that were picked, so. <laughs> let's just go some generic Ivan line drive double against Oregon, it appears to be, at 113. Yep. He probably uh, hit it through the wall. He probably hit yeah. it through the wall. Ground yeah. double. <laughs> that day to be a baseball. Yeah, so so Ivan has the top three. One thirteen. If you can believe it. One ten point nine, one ten point seven. Uh let's see here. So I have the third pick. You know what? I'll I'll, I'll go John Newman. One ten point six. It's the fourth highest. It was a, a double back on April 3rd. Went 228.5 feet, but a linea double. John Newman, 110.6. Just going strictly off the number right there. Uh, there were so many doubles hit back during the season. I can't remember which one that was, but it was on April 3rd. Isaiah. All right. Sticking with the number 110. I'm going to go with Christian Kirtley hitting a very, very hard single against Cal Poly. Line drive single at 110.4. 110? That's that's really hard. That's like 1,000 miles per hour. <laughs> 1010, yep. <laughs> Try to sneak in that zero. Sorry. That's okay. We like, we like balls at 1,000 miles per hour. That'll definitely break someone's glove. Definitely. Definitely. All right. Turn it back around to turn it back around to Isaiah for the best pitch of the year. Oh, you want honorable mentions for the hardest hit? Sure. Have, we can do that. The, yeah. I have the farthest confirmed hit was Jared Sundstrom's home run that was hit four hundred and fifty four feet um against CSUN. About it was a little like right center. The wind caught it a little bit, but it was absolutely yeah. crushed. Op, that was Oppo. Oppo, Oppo at Caesar. That's a real poke right there. Yeah. That's a real one. <laughs> I just and then our hardest hit home run was a Brett Hour home run versus Bakersfield. I'm not sure if one of you guys picked it. 110.9, but basically Johnny picked. picked Johnny picked all of Ivan's. So, <laughs> yeah. Uh, so yeah, those those are my two honorable mention picks though that the listeners could could learn about her here just so they know the numbers on some of those. Well, the, the two farthest hit balls of the year, 454 and 452, both by Jared. The 452 was hit 108 miles an hour. 454 was hit 104 miles an hour. But the angles were only off by, by like one, 28 yeah. versus 29. 
that's where like the wind and then the the spin comes into play because the trackman is able to actually track the ball and then once it loses it, it uses the numbers to predict the rest of its trajectory wait so it predicts the trajectory once it loses sight of the ball but if it doesn't then because i mean I bet you guys probably don't care, but in the de- in the like the info we get, it shows the the estimated or the the distance that it was last tracked, and then the estimated distance of how far it went. So, no, it's great stuff. We we want that. Don't spare okay. any details. Come on now. Okay. So one one was opposite field, and one was pulled. One had a nine point two direction, the other had a negative two point two. So the negative two point two was the opposite field, and the other one was pulled. Four. Four, that's just a long. It's just a long way. Four hundred fifty-two feet. Who else is on the? That's a long. Guys on the uh, the farthest hit ball. The next three, so two, three, sorry, three, four, and five were all Christian Kirtley. Four forty-three, four forty-two, four thirty-nine, and then Brett Hour, four thirty-nine. Sunstrom again, four thirty-eight. Justin Trimble, up in Oregon, hit it in the parking lot, beyond the. The hitting cages in right field, 438. Josh Williams against Xavier. That was a nuke, 436. And uh, Xander Darby against Bakersfield, 434. So those are your farthest hit balls of the year. Now we can move on to the pitcher, the best pitch of the year. Best pitch of the year. Starting with Isaiah. This pitch got chosen a lot throughout the draft. I mean, it was a very dominant pitch throughout the season. I think we all know about it. The Ager slider, 65 Ks with the slider, 66.8% strike percentage, whip percentage, 39.5 batting average against, 167, and it was picked eight times throughout our drafts. Hang on, Isaiah. 56.5 percentage for strikes. Yes, 56 points. Oh, sorry. Wait, I'm looking at the wrong one. That's my bad. That's my bad. <laughs> Got him. Got him. I was super looking at sorry for, super it was sorry strikeouts. For Percentage of strikeouts with the pitch was 56.5. What's up, AP? Beg your pardon. Joining. Can't oh, Aaron Parker. Right, uh, that was my, my, my pick My pick for uh, for position player of the year is on the podcast right now. Aaron oh. Parker. Thanks, Kev. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I just, I just wanted to make sure we're having – you know, factual stats when, when we're talking about it. And uh, number seven for the Gauchos hit a ball roughly 440 UC San Diego dead center. So uh, roughly. Xander, step up your game. <laughs> no, Aaron, get in here and make a pick. For what? Make a pick for uh, position player of the year or a moment of the year. Pick a moment. Best moment, moment of the year. year. Honorable moment mention pick, Aaron Parker. Moment of the year. Probably when I hit two homers at Oregon. <laughs> oh, 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 moment of last year? With this season. Yeah, this, this past, this past yeah, season, this, oh, 2023. Yeah. Um, yeah, sweeping sweeping Oregon. That was fun. That was my moment. It was my first big boy trip, you know, that I actually had to be prepared for. And so the nerves were pretty high, and we got it done. So it was fun. Did Aaron just snake your pick, Devin? Really, yes, sweeping no. Oregon was your best was your moment. No, it wasn't my best, but it was it was on my list. Backtrack, backtrack. Okay, so I'll just have that be my pick then. I'll I'll do an honorable mention when I go up. 
All right. Well, the uh, that was a good pick from Isaiah. It, it was picked the most of any of the pitches uh, in the drafts. The Ager slider thrown 654 times. Oh so that gives me the next pick for pitch of the year. Again, with pitch of the year, I'm looking at the green boxes, trying to find the best green boxes here. I don't know. The the one that was picked five times, it's got some reds, which I don't don't really like as much. But there's some reds diced diced around in there. Do I do I double down on my pitcher of the year? I think I might have to double down on my pitcher of the year. Do it. Or I could steal one from I could steal one from Devin. So he can't double down on his pitcher of the year. You know, I think I'm going to do that. I'm going to do that instead. I'm going to go Barrett fastball. Threw it 520 times. 57 strikeouts with it. What's the... So percentage percentage of Ks, 69.5% of the Ks that he had were with the fastball. Threw it for a strike 63.3% of the time. Whiff rate was 30.7. Batting average against was 207. And the slugging against was 281. So... Folks were having a hard time hitting the fastball effectively against Hudson Barrett, and it was picked four times uh, throughout the season. So that's my pick for pitch of the year, the Barrett fastball. G? Uh, it's between two change-ups, if you can believe it. I'm going to go... Oh, dropped an airpod. I'm going to go with the Goody change-up. 52.6, you know, 52.6% of his Ks were with the changeup. 70 or 67% strikes with the change, which is pretty high. 45.3 whiff rate. Uh, hitters only hit 184 against it. Slugged 276. It got picked four times. It's just a nasty changeup. You could tell him it's coming half the time. Um, it's a I sick changeup. Sick yeah, it's sick. Goody's a sicko. Goody's nasty. All right, Dev. All right, with my pick, um, I'm going with, you said you were going to try and keep me from doubling down, but I'm going to do it anyways. I'm going with Barrett Changeup. It was picked two times on the year. Um, he had threw it 299 times, 21 strikeouts, threw it for a strike 67% of the time, got a whiff 44%, and then the opponents were only hitting 203 off of it, which is really impressive. So I'm going with the Barrett changeup. All right. Good stuff. You did you did get the Barrett double down, but I kind of went with volume with my pick. Volume. So yeah. All right. Moment of the year. This is what everyone's been waiting for. Moment of the year. Now does this start with this start starts with Isaiah. I get two back-to-back first picks. Whoa. Yeah. All right. Well, I said it earlier. I think, I mean, this was crazy when it happened. All four of us were there when it happened. Um, I mean, we couldn't talk about it enough. 
Jerry hitting the trolley. I mean, that is as rare and as cool as it gets, to be honest. The ball went like 490 feet to hit a trolley at that same time. I mean, even Marsh, Marsh even apologized to Jared saying, hey, I'm sorry, I didn't high five you on first base. I wanted to see how far the ball went. So, I mean, I feel like that is a good representation of what we all thought at the moment of that ball hitting the trolley. I didn't I didn't know that he said that. That's that's pretty awesome. Yeah. That he said that. <laughs> Cuz I mean it's so true. Like everybody wanted to see where it was going to land. And you just said 490, so each time we talk about it it keeps getting farther and farther and farther away from us. And like to make it better like everyone was like, you know, a trolley would pass and Jared would be up and they're like, "Oh, hit it." Hit a trolley again, you know, it's trolley boy. Like they just started making nicknames for Jared out of nowhere. Yeah, pretty awesome. Pretty awesome stuff from Jared Sundstrom. Hitting the trolley. All right, my pick. There's a lot of ways that I want to go. But I think as far as like significance and where we were for this during the season. The uh, Nunez back-to-back game-tying slash game-winning hits against UC Davis on that Friday, that first game against the Aggies where Gauchos were down two in the 10th. Corey came up, hit a double to right center to tie the game, and then he came up in the 11th and won the game on a walk-off single. So that was April 28th against UC Davis. The... Uh, the Aggies were, they came back, tied it late, took the lead in the 10th inning. And after the Gauchos had swept UC San Diego, they were in a really strong position. And it would have been devastating to lose to Davis in that first game uh, at home after that. And Corey came through with the game-tying hit and then the game-winning hit. So that's my moment of the year. Corey Nunez, doubling down on a Corey Nunez pick. Well, actually, I said he was an honorable mention earlier, so not doubling down, but you guys know what I mean. Love All right, it. Gianni. Gianni Bloom. I'm picking Saturday at Long Beach. The shutout, I believe it was Goody's return to Hudson. They absolutely dominated, giving up no runs. The offense hit all those homers, put up like 14 runs. I think it was nationally televised. We were right in the thick of the playoff conference hunt. Uh, that was just like an example of they call complimentary football when your special teams, your defense, and your offense all work together. That was some complimentary baseball. Complimentary baseball, we love it. It was a it was total one of those, total baseball too. It was one of those complete games, one of those complete yep. games from offense and in pitching. And it was it was after Long Beach shut us out the first game, so it was a good way to punch back. One thing I want to add to mine, the walk-off win was Coach Taggett's 400th win. Nice. 400th win on that walk-off hit from Corey Nunez. So that was that was a big moment. Devin, finish this off. Yeah, so with my moment of the year, probably a play that's a little bit overlooked, but uh, Jonah Sebring's stolen base home on the Friday game against nice. San Diego. Nice. Nice. Tie game going the ninth inning. Uh, 
a pick to first base that handcuffed the first baseman. He steals home. You take the lead, get a lot of momentum, and then end up finishing with the sweep. So and that was a, a pretty big uh, series in regards to the Big West run. So Jonah's, Jonah's stolen base home is my moment of the year. A lot happened in that UC San Diego series. Jonah stole home. Sunstrom hit the trolley. Gaucho's got the sweep. Big time. Corey, Parker, two homer game. First home run. AP, two homer game. Corey Nunez, first home run. A lot happened in that UC San Diego series. That was a good uh, series. Uh, honorable mentions. I had I almost went Jonas Sebring, three-run homer, to reclaim the lead against Irvine in that comeback win when the Gauchos were down Ooh. like seven. Right? Ooh, that whole game. That whole game, that was one of the most exciting games of the year for sure. Uh, Brock Mortensen tying the school record for homers, 42. I had the currently walk-off homer against San Jose State. Oh, yeah. I forgot about that. Friday, eight-inning Shetty piece from Ager to E-Man. I think another 14-run piece at Fullerton. Maybe the Thursday, the diving catch that that Darby made or diving play against Riverside. Oh, that was like the ninth inning. Yeah, same game. Jesse Brown coming in to run and then making a jumping catch at the wall. That's right. That's right. There's definitely gonna be some that we forget. Uh, the fourteen nothing win at Fullerton game one, where we had a zillion homers and Ager went went crazy yeah. on the mound. Covered that one, Kev. No, you said you said Long Beach. I know, no, but then recently I said uh, oh. Ager eight inning shitty piece at Fullerton. Editing, yeah, it's fine. All right, well, we doubled up on that one. It's fine. Doubled up. Jerry on go Jerry backpedals. Go ahead, Grand Slam. Um, oh, we had, a, we had like a seventeen inning bullpen scoreless streak. I'm pretty sure. Ooh, nice. Parker had a good pick with the uh, sweep of Oregon. Kind of got the season rolling. Yeah, we won a good one. from the start of that game or the next 15. We won 14 of those 15 games. 11-game winning streak between the uh, the second game against Xavier and the first game against CSUN. So, like, right in the middle of March, 11-game win streak, get the season going. So, yeah, I mean, it was, it was a great year. It was a great year. Just It didn't finish how the Gauchos wanted to finish. Um, we don't need to talk about the Hawaii series. Don't need to talk about it. What series? Never happened. Never happened. I didn't go, so it didn't happen. <laughs> Never happened. All right, let's let's run through some awards and and some uh, some housekeeping to finish up. Uh, we mentioned all the stuff for Hudson Barrett, uh, Matt Ager, also Team USA invitee, first team All Big West. Matt Ager, Hudson Barrett, Ivan Bredauer, Jared Sundstrom. Honorable mentions were Aaron Parker, Jonas Sebring, and Tyler Bremner. Two Gauchos were drafted. Jared Sundstrom, 10th round for the Mariners. And as we mentioned earlier, hit a grand slam for his first hit and his first homer with the uh, Modesto Nuts, I believe. And then Sam Whiting, uh, 16th round pick by the Padres. Padres love the Gauchos. A lot of Gauchos in the Padres organization. Uh, Currently... Uh, Brock Mortensen and Christian Kirtley both playing independent ball and having some decent summers. Let's see, last I checked, Kirtley 
has OPS at 1016, playing in the Pioneer League. Brock Mortensen also in the Pioneer League. Uh, he's played for a couple of different teams, one in Canada and one in uh, Illinois uh, so far this summer. So good for those guys, keeping it going. Morty was also a uh, youth camp all-star earlier in the summer with uh, Gianni Bloom hitting barefoot off the machines during lunchtime. So that was fun. Yeah, complete rock star. Total rock star. Uh, Pro ball. Pro ball. We have some promotions. Corey Lewis promoted to high A, and he was added to the top 30 list of twins prospects in their organization. Pretty cool. Uh, We have three guys who were promoted to triple A. Actually, four. Four guys promoted to AAA. Uh, Michael McGreevy, most recently, uh, actually earlier in the year. So he's been in there up at AAA for the longest uh, time this summer, and he's been really good for the Memphis Redbirds and the Cardinal organization. Cardinals has traded Jack Flaherty, so maybe McGreevy gets the call in September. I don't know. I mean, let's out go. There. But uh, he's, on, he's on track. Uh Jack Dashwood, Eric Yang also promoted to AAA, and Trevor Betancourt promoted to AAA as well. Marcos Castan, Cole Cummings, both are with the Padres, promoted to AA. That's San Antonio Missions. Uh, Marcos is, again, putting together uh, some pretty good offensive numbers for the season. Um, Rod Boone, he's been doing his thing in high A, 6-3 and three record. Uh, he's been really good of late, been getting some uh, some praise on social media. So Rod Boone as well. And then Bryce Willits, he was the player of the month in May for the Carolina League. And I think recently he won a player of the week. And I think we saw him a couple of times on uh, social media, maybe last week, where he had, he had some crazy game. Gee, tell us about Bryce. I know you're close with Bryce. He is playing some really good baseball. I forget the exact stat line, but he was like seven for 14 or something like a week or two ago. He had uh, drove in a career high six runs in a game, 12 yeah. hits, 12 RBIs in his last nine games. Um, You know, just doing his thing. He's a power guy now, I guess. That's what happens when you get to the to the pros. Throw harder. You, know, you get a little balls bigger. Harder. Balls get a little harder, if you know what I, you know what I mean. Yeah. Yeah. And then a uh, couple guys in the big leagues. Kyle Nelson, he's he's leading the D backs in appearances. He's got seven holds, two point nine five ERA for Nelly. Bieber was pitching well. Didn't get a lot of run support. You know, 117 innings, 95 strikeouts, 33 walks, three point seven seven ERA before he, uh, he was put on the injured list in nineteen starts. Hopefully Biebs comes back strong. And uh, I got to shout out Andrew Vasquez, 30 appearances, a 2.27 ERA for the Phillies. He's uh, making it happen in the big leagues, uh, Andrew Vasquez. Let's see, a couple other things. Summer ball, we know Latre McCollum, Nick Oakley, and Nick Putnam are having great summers. Uh, Trey, I think they're, he's, in, he's at Cowlitz. Mm-hmm. Is that right? And they're in the playoffs, yeah. West Coast League. Nick Oakley's hitting 367 for the Bismarck Larts in the Northwoods. And then this morning we were, I was trying to pull up Point Streak, which is the website that hosts all of those statistics for West Coast League. I couldn't get Nick Putnam's numbers. But uh Huddy, he's in West Coast League for not Walla Apple Walla, Sox. Apple Sox, Wenatchee. 
Wenatchee Apple Sox. So shout yeah, out for those guys. Um, we also want to welcome back to Gaucho Land, Matt Fontino, two-year hiatus. He was at USC and at Cal Poly, and uh, we're happy to welcome back Matt Fontino. He'll be running the offense, coaching the outfielders. Um, happy to have him and the family back in Santa Barbara. We're already uh, rocking and rolling with getting everything dialed in for the fall with Coach Fontino, so we're psyched to have him back. And then uh, good luck to Donegal Fergus. He will be the new head coach down at LMU. We'll see him a couple of times during the regular season. And we'll also see him in fall for a uh, fall scrimmage. So good luck to Ferg. Uh, it, was, it was hard to say bye to Ferg. A, mo- a little emotional uh, Zoom meeting with everybody. Uh, but he's happy. And he's going to turn uh, turn that program around down at LMU. So we're psyched for him. Uh, let's see. Anything else from you guys? I know we're we're coming up here on the end of this. Couple of more minutes. Anything else you guys want to say? Because all three of you guys will be back. All three of you guys will be back. So we'll be doing more podcasts like this next season. And maybe we'll have some more wrinkles. But I thought you guys did a great job this year. This is really fun. This segment. Uh, something that I look forward to each week. Keep it light. Keep it fun. Um, hope the listeners have enjoyed that too. But uh, Isaiah Dev G, you guys want to say anything else before yeah. we sign off here? Just wanted to say thank you for letting us do this. I'm bummed I'll be missing you guys in the fall, but I'll be listening to the podcast, staying up to date, and I'll be excited to come back next year. So thank you. job, Dev. Isaiah, anything? It's been fun. Uh, I was a little nervous in the beginning, obviously, but, you know, got comfortable with you guys. It's been a good ride. Obviously not the season we wanted, but we move on, and uh, 2024 is going to be all us, going to be all gauchos. G? It's been a blast. You know, thanks for letting me join late. It's been really fun. Uh, Once you join the baseball staff ranks, you realize how quickly one year bleeds into the next. So, oh yeah, uh, it feels like it can. It just feels like a continuation of of with the same group with some new additions. So, you know, I'm excited to to build off the year and see if we can't make a push here. It's fun, Devin. When you return, there's gonna be turf. The field's not gonna look the same. So, take a picture before you leave. We'll do. We'll do. Just take some, Devin. Take some video of you playing catch with somebody in front of the Royal palace in Madrid <laughs> or in, or in front of the Bernabeu or somewhere, somewhere. I'll, I'll cool try to. I don't think, I don't think I'm taking a glove, so I'll, I'll need to figure something out. Got to do it. Just, you do just it. name drop two places. I've never heard of. <laughs> still, still a rookie. Still a rookie G. All right. <laughs> That'll do it for this episode of the Gosh Nine Podcast. Hope everyone's having a great summer out there. Uh, we'll check in with everybody in the fall. We'll probably hear some some new voices, get some updates on the Gauchos as we. Uh, this is beginning of August, so we've got a little more than a month until we kick into individual work, and uh, we do have the turf project on deck. So lots of things happening uh, in Gaucho Land, and uh, looking forward to checking in next time. So. That's it for 2023. Thank you, Johnny. Thank you, Devin. And thank you, Isaiah. My name is Kevin Cannon signing off. 
See you guys later.